Welcome back, y'all, to episode 183 of the Zachary Wingate podcast, where we go 365 days bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. I can honestly say that the beauty of this podcast is learning about new things and talking about it in this context. But as I looked into the story of Turkey and NATO and the strategic plays that it has going on, it truly has opened my mind. So today within this episode, what we are going to be getting into is Turkey. I would say Turkey is or Turkey as a result of President Erdogan, hate him or love him, love him or hate him, is a master strategist of Turkey. And we're going to get into it in this episode. We're also going to break down their role in NATO, their role within Russia, how they at the same time work with Russia and sell drones to Ukraine, and potentially why they're blocking Finland and Sweden, from joining NATO. Let's get into it. Okay, to get some context about Turkey, Turkey is a relatively young country. Obviously, you look at it and refer to the Ottoman Empire. This is kind of where a lot of their culture has been created. They also have, they're an Islamic country. 3% of the country, Istanbul, is within Europe. 97% of the country is in Asia. Um... They're located strategically right off from the Black Sea. They are hard, they have one of the only ports that go into the Black Sea. They can dictate a lot of different cells. Think that they have access to the Panama Canal only as reference to Black Sea, even letting in warships, things like that. They were founded in, I think, about 1923. And then around 1952, they were admitted into NATO. Now, they were admitted to NATO because strategically they stood with the U.S. as related to World War II. They kind of were back and forth and they eventually went with um, the U.S. and the Allies. And this allowed them to be in NATO. Now, one of the big criteria about being in NATO is you have to have a democratic nation. So that prompted them to get in. So as this relationship with NATO has transpired, you know, we're really looking at the influence of President Erdogan, who has come to power around 2024 as the prime minister, and then eventually he would um, transition over as the president. Now, Erdogan in itself is very interesting in how he is playing this strategy. You know, they are geo, they have probably one of the best geolocations for shipping, as well as a piece to Asia and Europe for Europe. So in a lot of ways, Turkey is strategically located, but they're also playing that location up and they're doing it in a multitude of ways. First of all, what's so interesting is Turkey in itself is a wild card to NATO. They really don't stand with the alliances in the way that the traditional countries do. As you look at the patterns and behaviors of Turkey, it really looks like they are constantly behaving in their best interest. I mean, if you were to watch a Netflix show about a character represented by Turkey, it would be the guy who's 
hand is in every pot. They're making money off every deal, and they really have no alliance to anybody, only to make money and to kind of be neutral at every opportunity they can. And that's really how they're playing the situation. For example, they are they they bought some complex weapon systems from the Russian government. Specifically, if you think about it, um, so they bought the S four missile systems from Russia, specifically designed to destroy F thirty fives created by NATO. So the same airplanes in the same essentially jets we sell to NATO. Turkey bought a weapon system made to destroy them for $2.5 billion. I mean, to me, this really represents kind of Turkey's strategic play. But we go all the way back to even 2016, and we look at the coup um, that was trying to overflow, overthrow Erdogan, and it really created a lot of dissent. So it was a failed attempt, and essentially it resulted in about 70,000 people being arrested. Now, looking at multiple polls of this, 67% of the people within um, Turkey thought that the CIA was kind of conducting and creating this coup to overthrow Erdogan because it looks like it's, or, you know, Turkey is kind of transitioning from a democracy to more of an authoritarian regime with Islamic influence, which the father of Turkey never wanted that. You know, he wanted more of this democratic free area, but it looks like Erdogan is really having some influence on that. So mind you, you know, this is what's going on. So as a result of this too, you know, there's there's a lot of things transpiring. So if we look at Turkey and what they've done with Ukraine, it's like on the flip side, Turkey is the only country that can really bring Russia and Ukraine together to kind of have peace talks. They've already done it and they've consistently done it. They've even done so much so as to allow Ukraine to push grain through that rhyme, Ukraine to push grain through the port that they have in the Black Sea, but what they did is they hiked up the price. So originally it was 80 cents per pound and they charged them $4 per pound, making roughly, I think about 200 million profit from the moving of grain. So like Turkey does a lot of these weird things. And what's really interesting too, is you have Turkey also selling drones to Ukraine. So within this purchase, Erdogan's um, son-in-law has a, a company within Turkey, I think it's called Barak. Um, and what they were able to do is sell $20 million worth of the T the TBT drones to Ukraine, which has a very influential, a very influential in defeating the Russian troops. So that's what I mean. And it's like if we look at it from a US strategic standpoint, at the same time, you know. Turkey's never playing ball with NATO, creating all these issues. And as a result of buying the S-4 missile systems from Russia, it kind of cut the deal for the F-35 to Turkey. So, like, it just it gets stranger and stranger. So, strategically, they were going to buy Russian weapon systems to take down F-35s and buy the F-35s for the Russian systems. It's like they, they're they trying to play multiple sides in order to get everything they want. And I really think this is an approach of Erdogan. So when we look at Erdogan, um, when we look kind of at the economic crisis, if you will, going on in Turkey as a result of him having um, their, their equivalent of the Fed cut interest rates. So they cut interest rates so low that it forced 
kind of an economic crisis. And what they think is, as a result of this economic crisis, Erdogan is playing every single side in order to make money. Now, if you look at another example of this is Erdogan has met with Putin quite a bit. But since the war, we're looking at a lot of Russian oligarch, oligarch, oligarchs, 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 I can't speak sometimes, with their ships on the Turkey port, Turkish beaches hanging out. And there's a lot of information that could potentially indicate that Erdogan is taking money from Russia, filtering it through Turkish, Turkish banks and allowing them to override the U.S. sanctions. So, I mean, I can't I can't I don't even know how to like I've never really experienced anything quite like this from like learning about geopolitical powers. It's like you have this little tiny country playing every single government in order to get what they want. Another example of this is the fact that Turkey keeps blocking Finland and Sweden from entering into NATO. And this is obviously ratcheting up. So if we look at it, whenever you kind of allow a country to come into NATO, everybody votes on it in agreement. And Turkey keeps saying no. Now, now you've had a lot of different things happen and Turkey always finds reasons. So one of the reasons that they're coming up with lately, okay, mind you, is the fact that, you know, people in Sweden are burning Qurans. The Finnish people support Kurdish regimes, which Turkey has fought Kurds. They don't like Kurds. They don't even um, really recognize that they exist. And that's kind of what's prompting them not to do it. But mind you, Finland has potentially 800 miles of border that it would share with Russia. So if you look at all of this strategic relationship, we really, I really think what's going on here. If Finland became a part of NATO, it would be a strategic failure for Putin because while he's on this front bombing Ukraine, trying to invade Ukraine, and Finland then joins NATO, then they're considered a part of the West because Putin is threatening Finland. But now you're looking at 800 miles of Finland border that is touched by a NATO country. This kind of goes into the narrative I talked before about Neo-Eurasianism. And if you have this collection, then it's going to really look bad for Putin. But however, he's playing this strategic game. Then you have Erdogan playing the game of what it can do in Turkey as it relates to NATO, what they can what they can make money off of as it transfers through Russian banks, hiding money, creating profit, then selling drones to Ukraine for $20 million. And at the same time, you know, you have all these different things going on and the United States is really warning Turkey but at the same time Turkey can do these crazy things that no one else can do like bring Ukraine and Russia to the table to have negotiations so it's almost like Turkey has this weird thing to where they're getting away with being in NATO for an example you have to be a democratic nation if Turkey went through the same um, if Turkey tried to join NATO today, they probably couldn't because Erdogan is kind of seen as this authoritarian regime. So they're able to like get grandfathered in, get the perks of being in NATO, utilizing their strategic location with the Black Sea, with the ports within Russia and Ukraine, making money off Russia, filtering the money through the bank at the same time as utilizing a relationship with Ukraine. So you have all that tied into the fact that potentially, too, in NATO, Turkey has the largest standing army. Now, the figures they say is 800,000. 
but it's probably lower than that, more like 600,000, and they have a lot of weapon systems, and they do a relatively um, large amount of fighting. So if you can think about it, it goes U.S. and Turkey for the largest standing militaries in NATO. So now they have the largest standing military. So this is also a strategic card that NATO likes to play with Turkey, but Turkey always votes in the favor of what they want. They're a wild card. You can never rely on them. So it's like, to me, when I look at this, I think this is sometimes why it's really, really hard to create treaties and negotiations that work sometimes within the Middle East, because you have a country like Turkey that essentially knows, and I should say more like Erdogan, who knows what he can and can't do and get away with. And he's been in power for so long, he knows the game and he's playing the game very tight. I mean, this is a margin game. It's like, at what point does Russia say no more? Or what point does NATO say NATO say no more? And it's really hard not to. And I think the strategic location of Turkey plays into all of this. It's like, I think at the end of the day, they think they're kind of that piece in the puzzle to bring it all together. And without them, both countries are going to have a lot harder time prospering. So they're trying to make money off of it. But honestly, it's like, when you see it and when you do the research and understand it, you know, it's it's just it's I, I don't even know how to. Ex- I mean, I've explained it, obviously, but when I kind of put it in, it kind of makes obviously Erdogan has done a lot of atrocities, human rights problems. But in this geopolitical realm, he's playing it like I've I've never seen really a small country play it. It's like when we look at larger comp- countries like, you know. China, Russia, United States, even Canada, you know, they're playing strategic games that larger countries can play. But what Erdogan is showing us is the small game that geopolitical countries play. Not I'm just going to cozy up to America, but I'm going to keep this relationship with America. I'm going to keep this strategic relationship with Russia at the same time of keeping this strategic relationship with Ukraine, NATO, etc. So we find ourselves at a really strange point with Turkey. And I think it's kind of showing how we are moving more to a unipolar world, you know, and we're living in a world that's really different than even the world we lived in 10 years ago, where countries are having more strategic power and how these little countries, which are located like this is playing such a strategic game that, you know, we need them at the same time as dealing with their shenanigans And it's really going to be interesting to see what happens with Turkey in the next few months to determine how how they're going to play or what Russia is going to do. So my advice is people keep their eyes on Turkey because Turkey kind of will indicate what the next stages are for this war. They work as an indicator. Thank you so much for listening and we will get back to you tomorrow. I really appreciate all the support. So thank you.